Hi, I'm Alan Alda, and I'm a guest on Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. You got to listen to this. They made me laugh. I laughed like this. Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Earwolf with our engineer Frank Ferderosa. And Frank and I are pleased to welcome two guests to the podcast this week. David Fantel is an author, public speaker, lecturer, professor of film and pop culture at Marquette University. Tom Johnson is also an author, as well as a former editor at Netflix and a film reviewer who has written for Movie Tone, Movie Phone, uh, I already fucked up, uh, People Magazine, and E! Online. 40 years ago, still in their teens and inspired by their love of classic Hollywood, they sat down and wrote letters to both Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly requesting interviews, and to their shock and surprise, they accepted. So they scraped together some money from their summer jobs and flew from their homes in Minnesota to Los Angeles to meet the two legends. That opened the door to one-on-one meetings and interviews with more than 250 stars and icons, including Bob Hope, George Burns, Milton Berle, Rod Steiger, Tony Curtis, Debbie Reynolds, Mickey Rooney, Gregory Peck, and even Georgie Yassel. <laughs> One bright and shining light <laughs> that taught me wrong from right I found in my brother's eyes. Along the way, they wrote in James Cagney's Bentley, traded war stories with Uncle Fester, kidnapped Frank Capra and somehow managed to offend Lucille Ball. <laughs> and of all these all of these adventures are chronicled in their essential new book, Hollywood Heyday, Candid Interviews with Golden Age Legends. Please welcome to the show two guys with a lot of fucking chutzpah. <laughs> David Fantle and Tom Johnson. Well, thanks, Gilbert. Thanks, Frank. This is Dave. And you're right. Um, 
Robert Wagner, I think in his um, intro, his said something that we had a lot of fucking chutzpah. I don't know if he used that term. I think he said, you know, they we had a lot of audacity, but that's, oh, you yeah. know, I, I think a direct quote. I, I don't know. I can't see him using a Jew term. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, he's no, pretty no. waspy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Welcome, gents. Well, thanks. Thank thanks you. for having us now, here. Okay, we don't understand it. Uh, mm-hmm. Two guys obsessed with old Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> you geeks. Totally. It is definitely a niche, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a niche. But we're all elite. It's an elite niche. So, yeah. Uh, so, you remember that film, That's Entertainment? Came oh, out- yes. So, our parents, we were 15 years old back in 1974, and our parents took us both independently to see that film, That's Entertainment. And Tom and I, from that moment on, fell in love with these Golden Age stars and these Golden Age films. So, we were 15 years old at the time. When we turned 60, we had this 60, 16, we had this great, <laughs> it's almost, almost 60, great idea. The only way to see those films in their entirety back then was to rent the 16 millimeter prints. So we borrowed the Bell and Howe projector from the St. Paul JCC and started schlepping these films to Minneapolis St. Paul nursing homes. Why nursing homes? Because well, we, we, yeah. we, they, we cut the cost. We, we had to go to nursing homes and charge them about $20 a piece, about five or six nursing homes to cover the cost of the rental of these films. Wow. Which were about 200 bucks a piece, which Jeez. we did not have at that point. Well, yeah. we dubbed this philanthropic endeavor Films on Wheels. And we, part of the reason why half of our audience was on wheels, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but, so what happened was, again, okay, talk about chutzpah. We had a few clips written in the local Twin Cities newspapers about this Films on Wheels venture. And what was the next logical step when we turned 18? Let's start writing letters to Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. So we started using snail mail and started writing. No email back then. No, no, no email, computers. No internet. Right. No Turner Classic Movies. How did you even find the addresses? Well, you know, there's stars, homes, maps, and things oh, like yeah. that. Okay. Had all of that yeah. stuff. And were those accurate? They the were very part. accurate. Wow. We, 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 Which is scary. Yeah. It's very scary. But we got to Kelly and Astaire. We threw those maps, and that set us off. And we sent snail mail letters to their secretaries. It was two years before we were able to arrange the in-person interviews when we were 18, our senior year of high school, and we flew out from L.A., and we weren't legal to drive. We had to walk to these I interviews. I know, I love that part. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> this was, you know, literally 40 years ago this year. 40 years. We did this summer, we were right? Sto- wow. We were stopped in Beverly Hills on our way to Gene Kelly's house because we were dressed in suits. They thought we were Mormons trying to convert people. Yes. They, said, <laughs> <laughs> they said, no one, no one walked in Beverly Hills. What the hell are you guys doing? You, and you were 18, you couldn't rent a car? We no. couldn't rent a car. It yeah. was 21 back then. We wow. stayed at a place that's still there at Doheny and Santa Monica. It was $27 a night, and now it's about $270 a yeah. night. That's where we stayed. Incredible. And, well, go ahead, Frank. No, go ahead. <laughs> you, has a question. you got, I guess, the, the lucky one that you got that opened the doors was Fred Astaire. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. We, we like to say having that snapshot with Fred Astaire was like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Yeah. Right. You know, those two, and particularly Astaire, to then and today were so universally revered that it opened up the floodgates for us. They, you know, the stars sort of took pity on us and probably figured, hey, if Fred would see you, we will too. In fact, that was a direct quote from James Cagney. He said, you know, basically he wrote us, if Freddie will see you, I'll see you, based on this snapshot that yeah. we had sent. That happens to us booking this show. 
It's true. <laughs> people yeah. want to do the show when friends and other people mm-hmm. have already done the show. See, there people you that go. they work with, it becomes a safe space. Well, yeah, well exactly. we'd recommend you to these people, but they're mostly dead. That's yeah. fine. You, know, you got a couple and, of and, people and in there we still want. It's important okay. for me to mention, as always, <laughs> yes. Fred Astaire was a Jew. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fred, Frederick Austerlitz? Yes. Yes, so yeah. you, you found out he was a Jew. Well, by lineage, yes. <laughs> yes. It, it was, yeah, you're right. His dad was an Austrian brewer. And we were talking about it today. Yeah, that, Dick Cavett was, like, all on that. We were at a thing with Dick Cavett. <laughs> yeah. oh, I hope. Did you say hi to Dick for us? We, we did. He's we we gave him your love. Oh, he yeah, was, like, he loved terrific. it. We adore him. No, he's, he's great. great. And, and uh, you know, the thing about Astaire was that his grandparents were Jewish but converted and then to Roman Catholicism, and then he became an Episcopalian. So I don't think I don't know where he, you know, ends up in the firmament of that whole the religiosity stuff. Yeah. Gene Kelly, not a Jew, Gil. No. 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 I, 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 I guess dancers not Jewish by but, and large, right? But I mean. Cary Grant, I heard was. Well, he, yeah. I've heard a few things about Cary Grant. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not him being may Jewish. May not. Now, yeah. You know what's funny? It's like we had on Robert Osborne. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, yeah, 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 great, great, great guy. And Robert Osborne talked about, you know, like how we, we all knew like movies used to show on TV 24 hours a day. Uh, and he said there was one movie in particular he saw like 20 times before finding out it was a musical because they cut out all the musical uh, numbers yeah. for TV. Unreal. Because yeah. yeah. they wanted to fit in with the well, time. When we um, interviewed Bob Hope the second time, he said that he and Dolores were in Cleveland or some city. They were watching one of the like, Ghostbusters. Or I think it was the one with Paul Edgard. Yeah, Goddard, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that they, they cut out a whole reel of the film, and he was trying at 2 a.m. to call the station to get it rectified. Of course, there was no one there. It no. was already programmed, but... Yeah, you. When we would, here's the thing, when we would show these musicals and to six, seven, eight nursing homes, the reality is a lot of these films sucked. Yeah. yeah so we had bad. a trick. You know how they came in three or four reels of the yes. sixty millimeter cans. So we would cut out a reel or two, and these residents didn't even know. So, <laughs> yeah, they just leave a reel out of it. It was great. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, they were totally, you know, out of it, so we could get away with this. And, you know, we could, we could get home to dinner. I mean, it well, was great. And Here's Tom, Tom Hat without a second act. And, of course, totally. it's not PC yeah. to be, you know, we're going to hopefully be old one day. But, you know, we had nicknames for people at these nursing homes. You remember there was that guy that we looked like? How Harpo would have looked. And he'd been 95. <laughs> you know, like the, like he still had the curly white hair. And then there was a guy. There was a guy, who, there was a, the Italiano, this woman that, like, we do Chico Marx lines to her, and she just, she she sort of, in some weird recess of her mind, would get it, and she'd be, <laughs> she would, like, totally laugh at these Chico Marx lines from, like, the Marx Brothers. Our punishment movies. for laughing at this is we're all headed there. there uh, yes. yes. <laughs> Make the reservations. White yeah. lightning bolt is going to yes. strike this, us. This leads us into. Uh, you met Zeppo. Well, it was a phone conversation with Zeppo. Tom and I, amongst all this stuff, had a great fascination with that Orpheum vaudeville circuit. Sure. So part of the names that we were seeing were to try to get stories from people who played the Orpheum circuit. And by the time we started doing this, 
the only one that was alive was Zeppo. And we were going out to Palm Springs to interview William Demarest, a wonderful guy. Oh, great, oh, great. Yeah. guy. Love him. Great guy. Love him. And um, I don't know how we, pray tell, got Zeppo's phone number. I don't number. know, but Zeppo, we got him on the phone, and he was totally disinterested. He didn't give a freaking flying you-know-what about talking about the March Brothers. But then we said, well, what did you do in St. Paul? We're trying to, he's trying to, we're trying to conjure up memories of like 90 years ago, and he had no interest. And then we said, well, what did you do between shows? And he said, we'd three-sheet. We'd stand by oh, the yeah. three-sheet poster and try and, like, get girls to, like, you know, notice us from our picture on the poster and then try and date them. And then we said, well, did that ever work? Well, not too much. And then, you know, but did you gamble between shows? Where? Where did we gamble? <laughs> what what clubs? He was, like, totally, totally interested in any kind of gambling story from the <laughs> Twin Cities. And we said, this is a question. We don't know where you gamble. How We're old asking was, you. was Zeppo like, at this point? Oh, this would have been about 1979. Okay. Yeah. So like, he was born about 1901. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's like when Steve Stolyer met Zeppo at some event. He said, "Oh, Zeppo, I'm a big fan of yours." And Zeppo said, "No, you're not. You're a fan of Groucho Chico and Harpo." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, Ze- Ze- Zeppo uh, kind of hit on a girl that Steve was interested in. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Sorry. Oh, well, man. So, it's, on, it's on the Stolyer. When episode. you look at Zeppo's life with. Barbara Marks and what have you, is it any surprise that he only perked up when it came to screwing and gambling? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty right. much it. Right. Yeah. Right. That was their other pastime. Yeah, because yeah. exactly. was one of those. Chico's for sure. Chico. Yeah. Where yeah. if you say yeah. this was one of the Marx Brothers, it's like, which one were you? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me think. Well, before we move forward with all of these wonderful people that mm-hmm. you guys got to meet, at least give, give us a little bit of what happened on the first stop with a stare. He did a little improv for you, a little improvised yeah. dance he did. for he, you. He, he, uh, he was seated in a chair. He was the greatest guy. We came in behind him. He was in his accountant's office on Brighton Way in Beverly Hills, uh-huh. 9405, if any like weird people want to stalk. <laughs> I think he's dead now. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. But they can see where he was, you know, did his taxes. We'll book and his so, accountant. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. And we walked in and he was doing it. He was uh, balancing his checkbook. All we saw was zeros. It was like insane, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah, we talked about, uh, you know, we talked about Saturday Night Fever. He voted for John Travolta uh-huh. for best actor that year. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. He thought he was fantastic. Did, and then and did, then he did a dance in his chair yeah, for Yeah, he sort us. of he danced around. For yeah, he went wow. there a little bit. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was and pretty it, cool. The thing about Astaire is he had no awareness of his genius. Wow. I mean, totally hey, unaware. you said that over the yeah. phone. Yeah. He was humble. Yeah. He was totally one hum- of those Hollywood gods. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. And we, we had mentioned that when we were at Films on Wheels that we had shown Easter Parade, one of his films with Judy Garland, and one of the residents thought it was one of our home movies. <laughs> and, we, and of course, Astaire would never analyze his films. He was incapable of it, but but he sort of stuttered a little bit. Uh, uh, she actually thought it was a home movie, so he got a sort of a kick out. Hey, of no, that. he actually broke up. And then we told him that, like in another reel of Easter Parade, one of these residents came up and tried to pull the screen down because they were sick of it or whatever. Oh, and he was God. like, he totally loved that. He said, "Well." I think there were some of my movies that, like, the screen should have been ripped down, but maybe not that one. Now, did did you ever hear anything of what John Travolta thought that uh, Fred Astaire Never heard nominated? back from John Travolta. But I know that Travolta 
and Michael Jackson and uh-huh. a few of those contemporary yeah, stars at the, the time, they idolized Astaire. Yes. And um, so there was some kind of relationship that yeah. they had. But Astaire was extremely contemporary. And Astaire had a very limited education. He started in vaudeville yeah. with his sister. And so, you know, he liked the horse races. He wasn't one of those guys that was going to go out and see opera and ballet. Kelly was different. You know, Kelly wanted to mentor um, ballet and dancers and artists and go to the ballet and go to the theater. Astaire had no interest in that. And also Astaire told us a great story. He said there's this young kid. This was back in 78 when we uh, interviewed him. He said there's this young kid that likes to come up and like in rollerblade, take a skateboard down my long driveway. His name is Michael Jackson. Oh, my God. And so Michael Jackson came to his house and practiced on his driveway. And Astaire later on tried to do it. I think Michael Jackson sort of taught him how to skateboard, and he broke his, his ankle. ankle. Oh, Frank broke, oh, yeah, Fred broke his I ankle. Never knew that. And yeah, his, no, his widow, crazy. you know, his w- widow, and I better be careful of what I say. Um, Robin Astaire is still living in the home on San Ysidro Drive. Remember, she was the jockey. Yeah, I was just going to say she was yeah. a jockey. She was a Robin. jockey, and yeah. I grew up in the Twin Cities. She used to do Shasta Cola commercials. Oh. And I don't remember, for you guys may remember when they did the Kennedy Center honor to Ginger Rogers, and Robin Astaire would not let CBS use any clips of her with Fred. Oh, it was, and very so strange. she's still wallowing in his home, and she's not doing anything to perpetuate his legacy. But what, oh, she, but what she would do, what she did allow, was the Fred Astaire famous coat rack dance from, uh, you know, yeah. when he Royal Wedding. Royal, yeah. Royal, Royal Wedding. Wedding. Yeah. She allowed uh, the Dirt Devil people to do the Dirt you Devil, mean, oh, where the Dirt Devil was substituted for the coat rack. See, that's sad. These people pass away and they have no control. It was all, yeah, it was all commerce. It was a money. It was commerce. They, okay, uh, Frank and I were talking about this yesterday, and this is all I want to talk to you about Uh-oh. Uh-oh. when you were at Stanley Dunn's oh, house. No. <laughs> so, oh, no. oh. so for those listening, now of course all your listeners know Stanley Don, and he is one they of the should. last. They should. He's one of the last survivors of the golden age. He was the director a, of Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain and a, Seven Brides for Seven Two for the well road, and, charade. Yeah. Living yep. about 20 blocks from here. Oh, so yep. yeah, at the time, and Tom can take it over the story, but at the time we were um, interviewed him, he was on Stone Canyon Road and he was married to Yvette Mimieux, who was probably best remembered for the Time Machine. Remember that? Yeah, sure. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. Very yeah. attractive. Weena. Rid- Weena. Ridiculously beautiful. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A sex kitten. So, oh, yeah. Go, so, yes. <laughs> yes. I guess you could say that. So go ahead with the uh, host. No, okay. it, it was 9 a.m., which is very early for Beverly Hills, Brentwood, and Bel Air. We pulled up. We were in our suits. We came up to gated community. We The gate opened. We were allowed in. We kind of drove up. We were shown to the study of Stanley Donan's study, which was great. We sat down. His dogs immediately attacked us and started to shed on us. So we were like yetis at the end of this interview. It was sick. We were just filled with uh, horse hair or, you know, dog hair. And then, you know, out of nowhere, Yvette, blows through these French doors and she's completely nude. I mean, she came from the shower and we, I guess like Stanley hadn't tipped her off that we were there for an interview. She screamed bloody murder, ran out. And then we hear, we're sitting there, we're like, Ten shades of crimson. You guys are 17 at this yeah, point? Yeah, we're like 18, 18 19. 19. Okay, you're still okay. kids. So at your ages back then, 
a hideously ugly woman naked would have made you, you come again. in your pants. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Start on, yes. Here is, a, here is a heart-stoppingly sexy woman. Yes. And, 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 if you know, Margaret the, Hamilton burst through those no, friends. Yeah, yes. And guys, I got to say, the dogs had started us up. So, I mean, it was like, come on. You know, so she she wails in, she runs, and then we hear this heated, heated argument between her and Stanley just screaming, and we're like, Dave and I are looking at each other, what the F is going to go on here? Yeah, and then and then Stanley comes in five minutes later, oh, and it's a monosyllabic interview. He's like, he's so pissed off at us, but we didn't do anything. No, I mean, no, he should have told her. Oh well, my yeah. god! So he took um, umbrage when we dare question. The film Saturn One. Do you remember sure. Saturn oh, One? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. And we're sitting there, and it became very antagonistic, and we're saying. Yeah, it didn't quite do as well as you probably hoped. He goes, I wouldn't say that. Well, the reviews weren't too good. And he goes, what reviews? Cite some for me. You know, I mean, oh, it just. Man. He was oh. just, you got him. He was off, and, off yes. on the wrong foot. Oh, yeah. and, no, it was and, horrible. And, and more importantly, what did Yvette Muse body look uh, like? Oh, man. Oh, my God. And, and I mean, she was, <laughs> wait, wait, let me, let me gather myself here. No, Tom's glasses. Your glasses oh God, are steaming. I'm fogging up. Yeah. Robert Wagner wanted to know all about the Vimeo <laughs> thing. He was obsessed with it, and he was 86 at the and time. And he said, like, you know, I was in a movie with her, but I never got her. It was like I'm, I'm like, okay, Robert. Well, we have that in common. But like, it was, it was incredible. No, she was. Oh, she was gorgeous. So she Stanley has gorgeous. to walk into the room at nine o'clock in the morning and conduct an interview with two teenagers yeah, just, that yeah. just it was just ogling his wife. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. His naked she, wife. Absolutely. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful woman. Well, and the other one, you know, growing up at the time we did, and she's in the book that, you know, we had the hots for it, was um, Jacqueline Bissett. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, during the deep and all that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And she, she was wearing those tight uh, leather it, it pants. It was leather and, pants. And, and she her, had a, yeah, she had a dog that just, I don't know what happened, but the dog would not leave her alone. Yeah, you well, know. I mean, well, it was dog like. dog wasn't you know, stupid. No, I mean, oh. <laughs> no, and it got to the shock point. She had to put her in another in another room. I mean, she was just like, and she, and then the dog started to yowl, and then she had to cut the interview off. We were like, oh my god, you know. Yeah. So we never finished the interview with the vet because her dog was in heat. Yeah, that dog said, I don't care if I'm a, another species. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's why the chapter of Bissett is titled Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. I'll see. And, yeah. and so ja- was Jackie looking good? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my god. This is all Gilbert it. cares about. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't care about but, you Gene know, Kelly. Most women were most women were smart enough and didn't consent to interviews. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, they were sort of... You well, you know, were kids, though. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah, but, you know, uh, Lucy is... I mean, and most of the women did not consent to photographs. Yeah. The guys, oh, for the yeah. most part, did. Yeah. They didn't sure. care. Because right. they were used to makeup and hair and everything else. Well, and, we'll get to Lucy in a okay. second, because that's that's pretty rich. But but at least talk about Gene Kelly. You guys walked over no, there. No, I want to talk about naked actors. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to run thin with Jacqueline Bissett yeah. and Yvette Mimieux. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... I don't give a fuck that yeah, you met yeah. Clark Gable. <laughs> Clark Gable. He was dead in 61. I want to know some actresses titches. Well, okay, let's get Gilbert excited. We can tell him about the last interview that we ever did with Nanette Fabre. 
I don't think that's going to do it for me. That doesn't excite me, Dave. Yeah. I mean, now, now we're reaching. She was 92 yeah. and literally under the sheets. Literally. Oh, oh. It was the only interview where she was totally under the sheets in her bed, and we had the, the micro um, cassettes literally on, on her pillow. She Ooh. was in a prone position. The only part of the sheet wasn't over her head. I mean, it was like, which then about yeah, two months later That'll be Gilbert's happened. last interview. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Now uh, I want to kill myself. <laughs> so you walked to Jean's house. Yes. You got stopped by a cop. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's interesting about the the Kelly interview is that you did two interviews yes. over time, and yeah. there was a lot of there was a lot of it was sad when you was. when you went back the second time because in yeah. 1978 he was 66 years old he was still playing tennis he was Gene Kelly yeah right. like we right. know yeah. him yeah then um, in about 1992 he was in his early 80s and it was Oscar night and we went back to his home. And the stark, striking thing is he had to hold on to my arm just to stand up. He didn't have his hairpiece on, which was extremely unusual. And his glasses were super thick. I mean, he looked like he was 95 years old. It was just such a jarring image of someone that we know from the films. Yeah, and his his, uh, house had burned down yeah, in that's, the interim. That's what I was alluding to. He had like yeah. incredible art. He had yeah. Rouault's. He had like all this French expressionist Sad. art. He had French dance hall posters from the Belle Epoque. It was incredible. They rebuilt the house. They, they tried. They, re- they, they, they rebuilt it to. exactly as it was, but then all the art was gone. Ooh. So when we went in the next, the, the last time, it was just, oh my God, it was so sad. And, and all of those celebrities from years ago, they all wound up wearing those same glasses. Uh, super that thick. looked like two movie yeah. screens. Yeah. Like yeah. The Swifty Lazar glasses. Yeah. Uh, yes, Swifty yes. Lazar. Yeah. Dean Martin yeah. was wearing them. Yeah. Um, uh, Ed McMahon. Yeah. All yeah. of them. Goggles. Yeah. Scary glasses. Yeah. But the, the Kelly situation was his house burned down. It was a Christmas tree fire. Yeah. And they found somewhere they found the blueprints and they recreated the home. And we actually have the Christmas card that he sent because we received Christmas cards. I love from that him he for, sent you cards every and year. And the picture yeah. was the home and it said back in the home for Christmas. Wow. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, now we're to, we went from the classy. <laughs> well, I want to G- hang my <laughs> <laughs> We went from the classy of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. Let's change directions <laughs> and talk about Uncle Milty. Oh, 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 oh. Can we say the oh. jokes? Anything you know about Uncle Milty? Uncle Milty? I, I haven't heard the urban legend. You know, yeah, 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 we, yeah, right. we met him at the uh, Friars Club on Santa Monica Boulevard. Now gone. In Be- yes. Now gone. gone. It looked like a parking yeah. ramp. You know, yeah. It was incredible. And we met him in the the Milton Berle room, the Milton Berle table, the Milton Berle chair. It was like this little microcosm of the world where he was, and he, he was the only comedian we've ever interviewed in our lives that had a gag man with him, Buddy Arnold. Buddy Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Tommy, you forgot, he also had the um, Milton Berle urinal, but it was like six inches off the ground. Yeah, it yeah. was like... We had that, <laughs> he had that booth. I met him at the Friars yes. Club. He had that booth, and you would have to go over to the booth and kiss yeah, the ring. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. he had a crease in his pants in the photo that like we just don't know what that I mean it was like oh my freaking and, and you God. never asked to see his cock no no, 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 no. I think he would have shown it yeah. I mean he was like totally willing to see, do anything I met him and I wish to God now I knew that he was so willing to show yeah. his cock <laughs> Because it just seems like such an honor. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think we would have had the guile that you had, Gilbert. But I mean, 
we were fortunate because there are dick jokes in the Burl chapter. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah. took the badge of honor. He told yeah. us a oh, penis yeah. joke, yes. which was amazing. We felt honored. <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> incredible. Oh, a dick joke from it was Milton a, It was Burl. a total dick joke from the, you know, who, he's a penis punchline for 20 years, yeah. like 30, 40 years. It was, oh. we felt so blessed. Did you only meet incredible. him once or twice, Gil? Uh, yeah, I, a couple of times yeah. I met him. Yeah. He, he was. Did he like you? Uh, he seemed to. He yeah. was one of those people of the old school like Kenny Youngman mm-hmm. who when you met them they were on yeah yeah, yeah, every, yeah right. every other line was a punchline yeah. right Burns right. was on Burl was on Mel Brooks yeah. is on but Jack not Bob Carter Hope. was on yeah yeah well that, Jack Carter was pissed that section but. where you talk to um yeah where you talk to uh ba, 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 oh Jessel uh, no. not Jessel oh that's scary <laughs> that's yeah. scary too yeah, that, that he was scary. scary that I want to kill myself yeah, where we, where you were talking to George Burns. Yeah, yeah. Every single answer was a, was a punchline. Yeah, one liner. Yeah, and you know that when we got, well, we're all over the map. But um, Jess- that's our show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We'll try to bring it around nah. in some kind of way. Oh, it's no, great. So did they ever? I mean, do you know the story of how, why Burl started doing the drag shtick on the TV show? No. So he was book? living at his mother, mother's place at the Essex house here in New York City. Yeah. And he, you know, had this, what he said, like terribly attractive girl from Texas that was at the Barbizon, the all girls hotel. So he went to the Western Costume Company and got the padding for the bust and the dress and the heels and everything else. And the wig. In the wig. So he could get back by the front desk clerk at the Barbizon, get in the elevator so he could sleep and make it with this girl. And he talked about then exiting was not a pretty picture because the next morning he was exiting and he said someone was on the elevator looking at like him like he was the elephant man. Because (laughs) at that point, you know, he was all a mess and he said it was so damn painful trying to walk back to that hotel or home in the Essex house after wearing those heels. Yeah, where he was living with his mom yeah. at the exit <laughs> house. At the Essex house. And didn't Milton Berle also sleep with uh, Amy Simple McPherson? Supposedly. No. Oh, the, really? Yeah, yeah, the famous the evangelist. Oh, yeah, oh, famous no, woman amazing. preacher. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, look, you know, look what he has as an advertisement. And, and <laughs> according on. at least to... Uh, our our friend uh, Drew Friedman. Yeah, yeah. Drew's a Drew. friend too. Yeah, yeah. He's good Marilyn man. Monroe. I mean, I I'd say Marilyn Monroe's the only woman who can honestly say she's attracted to a sense of humor because she slept with, according to uh, to yeah. Uh, yeah to Drew, Drew, she slept with Milton Berle, Jerry Lewis, Jack Benny. And Groucho Marx. Oh, man. <laughs> she obviously liked Jewish guys. Do we, uh, yes. 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 Yeah. Do we have proof of this? Yeah. We'll take it up with Drew. So how does this? How does that explain the Kennedy boys, the yeah. Roman Catholics? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. what, what? She was slumming. Yeah, okay, there we go. Comparison shopping. I'll, I'll try out a Gentile. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, mentioning our friend Drew, another friend is, you may not know, Drew's younger brother, Kip, yeah. Friedman lives in yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah, we know Kip. Yeah, Kip's great a great guy. guy. Yeah. Great, yeah. wonderful guy. Yep. So when you're interviewing Burns and he's yeah. do, and he's doing shtick because yep. yeah. he can't do a straight interview, no. and he's telling you about all the acts, he's telling you about Fink's mules. Yeah. Oh, was, did he mention Swain's rats and cats? Yeah, he did yeah, totally. Yeah, did. Oh, he, <laughs> loved, he loved the animal acts. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a one man fount of vaudeville information. Powers elephants, oh, powers absolutely. Elephant. Powers yeah. elephants. All those, all those acts. Madame Burkhart and her mules. I mean, no, forget it. They said in in the movie. The Sunshine Boys, 
they in the movie The Sunshine Boys, they basically let George Burns say just whatever memories you have because yeah. he had the names of yeah. these wacky Absolutely. Absolutely. The yeah. funny thing about Burns, when we walked in after the Northridge quake, there were aftershocks for oh, months. Yeah. We walked in after a major aftershock and we said, George, so uh, this was when he was 95 or thereabouts. Did you feel that aftershock the other night? He says, I look forward to earthquakes. They're my form of aerobics. So. <laughs> Thought he was going to say that's about sex to George, you know, but. Uh, did, did you have to deliver a letter from the director, Eddie Bazell, yes. who had a crush on Gracie? Yes. yes. Which is one of the stranger things in the book. Very weird. Well, now, let's see if I wrap my mind around this. He's giving you, uh, you a letter right. to give to his, uh, uh, to give to him. To give about to his Burns. deceased wife, about a crush he had on his deceased Ab- wife. That's exactly Very what awkward. happened. Yes. But what, what happened was we hadn't seen Burns in like 20, it, there was like a 10 or 15 year span right. between the first and second interview. Eddie Bozell directed at the circus. circus. At the, the circus. circus. Oh, and, and go west. And go west. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. what happened was Bozell. Had, two really strong ones. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. Marx Brother movies. Yes. But Bozell had died in the interim, in interim before we delivered the letter. So it was sort of this weird now sort Ooh. That was weirder still. It was like a letter from God or something. Like we just delivered this letter. This letter from the grave that says I have a crush exactly. on your, I have a crush on your, on your late wife. Yeah. yeah, here, George, you know. We'll be back with the amazing colossal podcast and maybe three to four years with good behavior. Ha Yo, you doesn't have to call me Johnson. My name is Raymond J. Johnson, Jr. Now, you can call me Ray, or you can call me Jay, or you can call me Johnny, or you can call me Sonny, or you can call me Juni, or you can call me Ray J, or you can call me RJ, or you can call me RJJ, or you can call me RJJ, Jr. But you doesn't have to call me Johnson, and ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, wonderful, funny, hysterical <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we now return to the Gilbert Gottfried's amazing galactic. I was reading somewhere that. Uh, Emil Zitka uh, was visiting Curly Joe Dorita, okay. and 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 they said Curly Joe Dorita agreed with Emil Zitka that Jules White was a schmuck. <laughs> now you met Jules, Jules White. White. How did you guys three happen? Stooges director. Oh. How did you pick Jules White of all the people that you guys could? I have think tried? it was a lotto. I don't yeah. know. I mean, it was like oh, probably no. because uh, you know uh, Joe Besser was dead. I don't yeah, know. I, you know. know. <laughs> and Dorita wasn't worth the trip. Yeah. You know, and, and the weird thing about Jules White is that we we interviewed him, we called him up, and he was like, you know, he didn't want to do it. He said, I'm going dove hunting up in the Sierra Nevada. Oh, like, geez. I don't want to do this. And we said, come on, it'll be a short subject interview, like yeah, your yeah. shorts. And he was like, total dead silence. Oh. Like, he didn't think it was funny. So he eventually consented, but he said, I'll be 
loading my shotgun during the interview when we do this, so you'd better be, you know, quick about Ooh. this. And he was, indeed, he was loading his shotgun oh, during no. the whole interview. <laughs> it was like, it was the most tense interview. So this was a comedy during. Yes, yeah, yes. Comedy yeah. You tried to get him to do the yeah, eye yes. poke. So the, well, yeah. we, we tried to take photos for those who consented immediately after, and we said, come on, can you do the eye poke? And he goes, I can't do that. I won't do that because I think it sends the wrong message to kids. <laughs> <laughs> he filmed like 5,000 three yeah, stooges. I mean, would he put your head in, the, in a yeah. letterpress? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Was, was he okay with the saw? Yeah, the, the sound effect. <laughs> Flame the, 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 the blowtorch. Yeah. 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 Okay, since Gilbert alluded to it, let's get Jessel. Oh, yes. Let's get this one. I mean, I I don't know if you saw the photo in the book. I did. Uh, Yeah, I saw the photo. The photo is right there in my mind with Bud Abbott's photo in the home. Uh, It's it's, just all right. So Jesso was living in Reseda. In a home. In the valley. In the valley. How old is he at this point? Oh, early 80s. Early 80s, yeah. And when you got in, there was a housekeeper of some sorts by the kitchen. But the kitchen was pretty much, the counter was full of like Swanson TV dinners. Oh. And there were like, you know, flies buzzing around. and Like a full trash bag that had not been emptied in probably three weeks filled oh, with Swanson dinners. He's living like Ed Gein at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's wearing the beret. A bathrobe, and he's sitting in the shabby Lazy Boy. Yeah. But the interesting thing, he's surrounded by all of this memorabilia. He had a cane that Eisenhower gave him. He had the Gene Herschel Award. Mm-hmm. He had pictures with all of these David Ben Gurion and all these Leonard famous Roosevelt. people. He all had an people. autographed photo of uh, Xavier Hollander, the Happy <laughs> Hooker, <laughs> he did. that he told us to go look at and read the inscription. Incredible. So well, the 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 crap he had in his house was probably worth a oh, few yeah. billion. And who knows whatever happened to it when he passed? But again, he was so bitter, and he said to us, "Yeah, I just got off the phone with Burl. I mean, with Burns." And we said, "How's he doing?" And he just said, "Making millions." You know, oh. so, he, so he was envious of yeah, that Burns and, was still working. And we knew little about Jesso going into this thing. The only thing, and this was like late seventies, early eighties. I don't even know the context. Rob Reiner did some late night sketch where he played Jessel doing a telethon to stop death in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he did the whole thing, you know, we got to stop death in our lifetime. And that's all we knew. And we also knew all he did was give eulogies to the people that died before him. Yes, that's the about- roast master general. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The weirdest thing at the end of the interview, you know, we had been pointed to all these different things in the, in you know, and we had been, you know, looking at him, reading inscriptions at his behest. And then we finally got out. Out to the car and our, our, you know. By this time we were yeah. By this car. time we had a tape recorder and we had notes and stuff. So we got out to the car and I'm looking at the notes and he had written an inscription when we were walking around all over the you know room you know reading Harry Truman's love letter to him or whatever and he said the inscription said to the greats without a microphone which you know was very poignant in a way because he was a vaudevillian back in you know the early 1900s and they they weren't Mike back then. So he was sort of living in the past in a weird way. He was like standing up for people that could project without a microphone, the olden days. And and he was the one, he came very close 
to being the star of the jazz yeah, singer. Absolutely. Yeah, right, right. He, yeah. he, they didn't, Warners didn't offer him enough money. Yeah, he turned it down. Yeah. Oh. Incredible. And then they say that Jolson, I mean, it's sort of a myth because it's probably an exaggeration, never saw a microphone till he was like 60 years that's old. What they, that's what they said. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, he made jazz singer. He wasn't, yeah. that was a no. microphone. No, it was yeah. right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Was he? Did he think he would? He'd been blackballed too from the industry. Jessel, Jessel for his Cons- his conservatism. Yeah, I think he did, and but he was very proud of the work he did for the establishment of the state of Israel. For Israel, yeah, very proud of that. Yeah. You know, the uh, the weird thing was that trip. About a week later, we're leaving L.A. We're at LAX, and we see him being wheeled down, you know, uh, one of those runways, you know, one of those hallways. He was in his military oh, sure. uniform yeah. with his purple heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were like, hey, he George. always went out in a uniform. See- yes. Exactly. Hey, great to see you again. You know, I mean, it's great that you're, what, are you a major general today? I mean, it was insane. But it was so bizarre that he would go to these Hollywood openings with the tuxedo, yes. the cape, and a beautiful girl on his arms to go back to Reseda and his Swanson TV dinners. Yes. It was yeah. just so it was weird. crazy. And, and Great I, stuff. I'm sure turning down the jazz singer haunted him every yeah. second of his life. Yeah. Right. What about right. Hope? Well, Bob Hope. Uh, he hated the Jews, didn't he? Well, he strikes me. Well, <laughs> those. I, 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 Where do you get this? Like he couldn't avoid them. <laughs> well, he had to associate with them. But I get the impression he and Bing hated the well, Jews. Well, there, there, there was certainly enough stuff on Bing in that. But I always, when we try to talk about contemporary stuff <laughs> and politics, we looked at what happened to Minnesota Senator Al Franken for his USO hijinks. Yeah. Yes, I said Al Franken was a Boy Scout next to Hope. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. in the USO. Sure, but he exactly. wasn't. But he wasn't well, a member of the government. So. No, they, they, yeah. he wasn't part was of the government. Those stories that Bob Hope on those like Vietnam tours, oh, yes. he would have some always some young honey, though the current like Brooke Shields yeah. or whoever, and Jillian. And, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, Joey Heatherton. Joey Heatherton. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and according to legend. He would say to them, if they didn't fuck him, he was leaving them in <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. We cannot confirm that. Uh, I confirm hey, wait a minute. I, I uh, was there. Yeah, that, <laughs> that story was told by a guy we interviewed that was your guest, Dave Thomas. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Dave Thomas. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Dave yeah. Thomas, great. See, the I only you. guy who could do hope. But yeah. I mean, hope, you know, was infamous for not saying anything. I mean, he was a publicity whore. Of he course. would talk to anyone. Yeah. And protected but, the brand. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, we actually sort of got him um, off his guard yeah. um, a little bit when we did a longer yep. form interview in Minneapolis. So, you know, what he used to do later in life, and he was always with Dolores later in life. Yeah. yeah. He would come to a city like Minneapolis. He would play one show for an hour at a nightclub or what have you, but he would use it as an excuse to golf all day. And so we interviewed him late night because comedians are up late because that's their lifetime schedule. And we got into a little bit of politics and him being a war hawk and his conservative politics. And the one thing that he um, took umbrage of was it was right after Reagan had gotten shot. And it's in the book how he talks about, I can't understand. That was interesting. Uh, how Reagan yeah. is not supporting tougher gun laws. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from, that was wow. from Bob yeah. Hope. That was interesting. Yeah. That, that totally surprised me. That was yeah. interesting. And we once, yeah. he came to homecoming at the University of Minnesota, and we started by saying, you know, what do you make of this term legend? And he said, you know, it really makes me blush because, first of all, I'm still working, I'm still here. And he sort of thought, 
the term legend, if you affix it to anyone, should be affixed to someone who is deceased. Interesting. And I mean, I know, I think legend is the most overused, overused term. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, it's uh, there with hero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I mean, right. right. So, I mean, he was very... Was I Dolores mean, in the room? When you she was in the room, room. and yeah. his dog, Toby, uh-huh. and Mr. Minnesota, who was his personal bodyguard Mr. in Minnesota. Minnesota. And, and I heard Bob Hope, wherever state he was working in, he would claim he was going there because he likes to eat healthy. But they they said he would find out where, like, these ladies' auxiliary meetings were <laughs> and ladies' clubs. And he would make a claim, well, the food is uh, much better and healthier oh, man. than, yeah, yeah. Well, he was appalled because he went to a movie theater in, oh, in yeah, the Twin City. That. Was it North, North Dallas? Dallas 40. He, saw, he, he went to out. see yeah. North Dallas 40 because his good friend, um, Mac Davis, Mac Davis Mac thank Davis. you for, yeah. was in the movie. And he walked out because he was appalled at the profanity. Yeah. He thought, oh, he thought modern movies were crude and dirty. Yes, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. He didn't make, you know, it's, it's funny too because he, t- did he tell you guys that, that part of the road movies were ad-libbed? That 20% yeah, of yeah. them? Yeah, do you buy that? No, no I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Here's what here's, I heard. I don't. I don't Here, either. Here's what I heard about the road movies. You know, they have the legend like, oh, you know, uh, Bob Hope and Bean Crosby tossed the script to the side and they did their own stuff and and what someone said is uh yeah they may have tossed the script to the side but that's only because they had their own staff of writers who yeah. were giving them jokes yeah. so they yeah. were using their jokes yeah, yeah. like yeah. Hope and yeah. crosby weren't thinking it up absolutely on the side. No, no, no. no and he never. was always quick to credit his writers exactly he was, in his, he in was. His defense. well wasn't right. there the i don't know if it's hollywood lore too where he would stand up on the second floor of his home and throw the checks down Supposedly. to the writers yeah. Yeah. Jack, yeah. i heard that about jackie gleason too so yeah. I, don't, I don't know yeah. which one it, which, apocryphal yeah well, and you know the, the the reason i mean bob hope had amazing timing he had that great cowardly womanizing yeah. persona. I mean, it's surprise. I mean, Woody Allen yeah. says basically oh, he's oh, absolutely. He just yeah. adored. Watch Love and Death. Yeah, right. But, and Dick Cavett even said today to us he corroborated that he said Woody Allen worships Bob Hope. Which is just, and in many many Woody Allen movies, you can see a Bob Hope line delivery, Bob Hope characterization, oh, Bob Hope timing. From he Woody. would do that cowardly yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Bill Daly, who yeah. was uh, from yeah. Major yeah. Healy on, yeah. on yeah. Yeah. Just it, it recently came out that he was doing Bob Hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that and character. Now, but not a legend. No. Not but, a but legend. See, now, now, Bob Hope, what's so weird to watch is you watch the early movies, and he's like a little effeminate and rolling his eyes yeah. and doing the and jumping around all over the place. And then by his later movies, he's turned into that Bob Hope. <laughs> and he's standing there in the scene with the other actress, and he's it looks like yeah. he's looking at the cue cards. Yeah. Yeah. And right. he's standing there just like those specials. Yeah. His arms by his side, you know, delivering his line like that. Yeah. And Zoglin, in that he wrote a great book on Hope a couple it's of a years ago, yeah. you know, talked about how it became throwaway. And he was trying to sort of act hip and cool to introduce himself to newer audiences in the 60s and 70s. It just didn't work. And what was the one he made with Eva Marie Saint late in the 70s? It wasn't I'll Take Sweden. It was one of those. Oh, oh, that, was, yeah. that was Anita Eckberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he made a yeah. film with her that was one of these sort of yeah. six, seven. I can't think of the name yeah, of it. Yeah, it's in yeah. the book. Yeah. And she just said, 
It's something that I really don't want to talk about. Boy, did I get a wrong number? Yeah, I think maybe it was that. Boy, did she get a wrong number. And what what used to, as a kid, make me so uncomfortable on these TV specials, they would have like Bob Hope and Lucille Ball dressed as hippies (laughs) or dressed as rock stars. Or she'd be a cheerleader. uh, He'd have fake bazooms. Yes. And and, and, and pom-poms. And and you'd watch them. Bad drag. and, And it was like... Oh, you, uh, you have no idea of this time period. Yeah, it's yeah, cringeworthy. Yeah. It is. It right. is. And you were here, Frank. We did present Gilbert with a couple gifts oh, earlier. Oh, my God, yes. Okay. One of them was the actual cassette recording of Hope Hopes for the Holidays. And another one wait, wait, was... It features... Uh, Jack Frost. Oh, oh, Jack Frost. Oh, this is gold. And then yeah, and another one was the uh, uh, Christmas kind. ornament that Dolores gave us that I don't want anymore that I gave to Gilbert oh, wow. with nice all my love. And and, and and like I said to you there, it's one of those gifts that's both great and horrible <laughs> at the same time. Very scary. Because you look yeah. at it and you go, oh my God, I want to smash this fucking well, thing. What year, what year is this? Because when you when you sat down with him in Minnesota, it's well before Jack Frost. Oh, yeah. 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 He was, at, he was yeah. at the death's door. So, and, yeah. You, yeah. And, yeah. and once again, everybody, you owe yourself yes. to look up Pop Hope <laughs> and ex- doing Jack Frost. You know, if you go to that YouTube page, all the comments say Gilbert and Frank said that. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. Oh, that my YouTube God. Page. It about, is a living nightmare. No, yeah. it is. It Talk is. about killing a legacy. I yeah. mean, so because real. he couldn't stop. Yeah. Because no. he was one of well, those guys that just had to keep performing. He would yeah. show up at Bob's Big Boy all the time, <laughs> just like about a mile yeah, from where I live. Alike. It'd be 4 a.m. He'd be there with his driver eating oh. a Sunday. I mean, you you could go up to him and hey, Bob, and I think he was non-compass menace. But I you're don't right. Know what, but. He didn't. There was a, he had a publicist, Ward Grant, who always consented for Hope stuff. And years after our last interview, he was still in the early '80s. I was doing some stuff for a radio station in Milwaukee that was sort of the music of your life, playing the classics. You could get Hope on the line when he was 94 years old. Incredible. And he would do the call letters. Or he would, We started he would, this show too late. That, he, would, yes. he, would, he would parrot damn near anything you asked him to do. Yeah. When, yeah. when, when I was looking through your book, all I could think was, oh, it would have been great to interview him. It would have been great <laughs> yeah. to interview him. It was killing me. Killing, well, killing both of us. You got a couple of people in there that are hanging on that we'd still yeah, like yeah, to get. Yeah, I think there's yeah. Angie Dickinson and yeah. George Hamilton yeah. and, and some yeah. of those people. But uh, There's about I'll a dozen you. of the 75 and, that are still alive. And yeah. you, you met, you had a day with Don Rickles. Oh, yeah. Oh, Don, Don, you know, Don was a great guy, and I got to know his road manager, Tony, the Tony O. Yeah, Tony O. Tony O. Yep. And yeah. What a great storyteller he is. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you knew Don, right? I mean, no, well, I never met Don Rickles. Oh, I'm sure you would have hit it off. Yeah, I would have loved to have met him. I never had that chance to. Well, and I mean, I think that's, he's indicative of how humor has changed. First of all, they say you can never have a Don Rickles today. And I think there's Prob- some. Probably not. And, and right. I think yeah. there's. Some truth to that. But the thing about Don Rickles' humor, it came from a place of love and affection. Yeah. It didn't come from, I hate so-and-so, so I'm going to rip the shit out of you. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's how things have changed a little bit um, over the last 30 years. But it was, again, and I know Gino and I saw Don, um, Don the last time he came into Milwaukee, and he was already 90. Talk about a guy who would oh, keep yeah. going. He's still performing. And his yeah. mind and was sharp. And the bottle of Grey Goose on the, yeah. on the, yeah. on the, the dress. The mind was sharp. 
But first of all, there was no there's no, there was no diversity left in the audience to you know to do his insult humor. He couldn't walk by this point, so he would sit in a chair with his cane, and half the show was watching clips. And the sad part of it is, you know, you look at him watching those monitors, and you could almost tell there was a certain sadness. Everybody there. was gone. Yeah. yeah. Except Everyone. for everybody knew her. Yeah. And that's what Cavett yeah. said to us today. He said, it's hard to watch those shows with all those iconic actors because he says to myself, I'm the only one alive. But the thing about uh, you know, oh. the thing about Rickles, which was great, and and it was just wonderful. I was in the audience when you know he mocked the hell out of me. I was in the second <laughs> row. What an honor! Oh, it was a total honor. You and Gino both insulted oh, by Don Rickles. Yes. But but the great thing about it was is that he said you must be Italian. You know, nothing on you matches, and everything <laughs> matched. And, and I'm, as, I'm as Italian as oh, Ludacris. Yeah. No, it was incredible. <laughs> And you know what? The whole audience broke up. They loved it. He could do no wrong. And they, they couldn't see that I was like as Irish as, you know, whatever, Gene Kelly's left butt cheek. But it was in, in insane. So, I mean, he could do no wrong. He was just an absolute, yeah, you know, original I, with that stuff. I read that uh, Tim Conway went to see Don Rickles. And Don Rickles saw him then. He said, you know, uh, Carol's retired. It's over for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was sort of like insert the name. Because yeah. he could say yes, that. Yes. He'd... And was yeah. there ever in the history of Don Rickles' career a Chinese guy in the third row? No. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Never. Well, the right. sad part is. The only time he could insult a black guy was when there was a black guy in the band. Oh, because later course. on, there was no one in the audience. Yes. But he would always give a bottle of champagne to anyone he ever insulted. He'd send a bottle of free champagne to the table that he had, you know, totally opened up on. That was his thing at yep. the end of a show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. his best friend, Bob Newhart, um, made light of the fact that in his Vegas and his nightclub routine, for some inexplicable reason... Don Rickles did a Jimmy Cagney tribute. Complete with the tap dance. Yeah, he's doing doing the whole Yankee doodle. He started as an impressionist, Rickles, before he was an insult comic. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but the impression of uh, George M. Cohen just didn't work. I mean, it was like, (laughs) oh, my God. Well, he tells the story of, what was the, he run silent, run deep. Have you heard the story when he and Jack Weston... You know, was Clark, Clark Gable was a star. Yes. They yep. were in the bunk in the submarine, like making out, you know, because they knew Gable was going to come in. And Gable came in when they were doing this, and Gable said something like, What are you two, a couple of fags? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they just totally baited Gable. It was great. Let's talk about, uh, let's see, where do I want to go <laughs> yeah. here? We could go We could go so many places. As long as we're on the subject of uh, of comics and one Gilbert did meet and get to know is Jerry Lewis. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh. Oh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Yeah. He owes us, he owes yeah. us, and we're bucks. never going to yeah, collect a hundred bucks. Yeah, he bet oh. you. He bet. Uh, you could you know, name two lines well, from because, Gone with the Wind. You know, uh, you know I, I asked the question, and uh, you know, he said, you're a young guy. You don't know crap about movies. You don't know anything about Hollywood. <laughs> With lore, and I'm going. Uh, you're talking to the wrong little nerd here. And he said, "Name two lines from Gone with the Wind, and I'll give you a hundred bucks." I said, "I don't know about birth and no babies, and frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn." And then I, and then he silenced. And then I said. So when can I get the money? He said, "Come by the stage door after oh, I, you know, my act." Yeah, he he totally oh. skipped town. 
hundred bucks. And you know, Gilbert, it was, it was one of those embarrassing. He came to this Carlton celebrity room in Minneapolis, and we were college students at the newspaper there, and we got the cheap ten dollar balcony seats, a bunch of us, because oh. we always had this sort of perverse interest in Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Oh, yes. And yes. Of course, he couldn't sell any tickets, so they all Ooh. moved us all down to the front. And oh. of course, he was doing the 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 conducting shtick, the typewriter, the, the typewriter, yeah. and the music um, would would fail, and he'd start yelling at the crew. Oh. I mean, it was it was just. Total Jerry. No, and, and and it was the most un-PC thing, oh, oh. part of his uh, comedy act. He said, do you know how the Chinese name their, you know, kids? And he Ooh. threw up some, <sighs> you know, and he threw up some stones and they hit the, you know, he, they hit the symbols. Ping, ping, chung, thong, thong. Oh, and that was like, oh, oh come my on, God. Gilbert. No. That's less PC and, than your act. No, <laughs> I was like, we were shocked. I mean. And, and but the thing I love is that Jerry Lewis is one of those people I can use the classic line. Well, he was always nice to me. Oh, yeah. And that was one yeah, of those. Like yeah. That 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 line says so much. It says a lot. I love that in the book he I says. Heard, oh, I heard that too from Kathleen Freeman. Oh, yeah. Oh, great character yeah. actress. And yeah. she also said, well, he, he was always nice to me. Yeah. Yeah. He gave her a lot of work. The, the ladies' oh, yes. man, among others. But, you know, yes. Harry Warren, the great composer from, uh, you know, Hollywood, he, had, he composed all kinds of 42nd Warren Street. And uh, yeah. Warren yeah. and Dubin. He said that he, t- he would turn on the telephone every year. He had wrote that song. Amore for yeah. Dean oh, oh, Martin yeah, and Jerry wow. Lewis. And he said he'd turn on the telethon every year just to see if Jerry Lewis is as big of an ass as he remembered <laughs> back in the 50s. <laughs> and he was never disappointed. Because <laughs> Harry Warren, when the musicals were dying down, the only paychecks he could get was he did Cinderella. Yeah. He did um, the, he did the Caddy and yes. he wrote the music to those yeah. Martin and Lewis films. Right. So, so you saw that total prick side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. He didn't like cerebral comedy. He said there was no. too much cerebral comedy. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hated more, that stuff. Need more slapstick. So yep. he said, there's not enough. <laughs> you know what your comedy needs is a little. <laughs> the eternal five-year-old. It's true. It's true. It's true. Oh, God. One of the touching things in the book is is how well you guys were treated by some of our favorite character actors. And in booking this show, we find that we have a lot of luck with character actors. Oh, yes. Tim mm. Matheson, uh, uh, Peter Rieger, Joe Pantoliano. Yes. Mm. Oh, uh, uh, Dick, Dick Miller. Dick Miller, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Rieger. So you guys sat down with Ernest Borgnine, Eli Wallach, one, and mm-hmm. one of Gilbert's favorites, Rod Steiger. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, Rod was great. He was one of the most fascinating interviews we ever did. It was over three hours, and it was the only interview in our 40-year career that we voluntarily ended because it was getting dark. We were, you know, he was in the patio of his Malibu estate way above the ocean. And he was sitting in a, you know, half robed in this, uh, you know, bathrobe. And after a while, the sun set and we couldn't see him. We just saw the white robe <laughs> pulsating. He looked like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Oh, we saw his head reflecting yeah, on, the, no, on the moon. It was crazy. And it, it, he was amazing. Great anecdotes about, you know, Gary Cooper, Marlon yeah. Brando, Bogey, James Dean. He loved yeah. Bogey. Yeah. He was, you know, he would tell us to stop the recorder when we'd ask about any of these. And we at first Love we that. were like, oh, my God, what, what, is he pissed at us? And then he'd do this zen-like thing. He'd get into this trance for like maybe 30 seconds, and then he'd say, turn it on. And then he would just give this great 
verbatim wonderful quote that was about whatever the you know the star we asked about it was and great i i remember i i oh i think it was thick of the night they wanted to film some funny sketch of like their you know land on rod steiger's house they break into his house <laughs> and they the a guy who's there at the shoot said to me he said that Rothsteiger didn't want them to leave. He wanted people to talk to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was incredible. And, and he said his whole reason for being, the reason we, he got into movies, and up until the day we met him when he was in his late 70s, he was trying to get respect. It was so that the Steiger his name would be known. Yeah, his, yeah. yeah. his mother, too. His mother, yeah. They said, that, I remember he said this in a few interviews, that he used to get called from like the bar to go pick up his, his parents absolutely. and take them yeah. home. Yeah, in New Jersey. Yeah. In Newark. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There was a, you know, when he was telling stories about Gary Cooper, he told how they were doing a reenactment on the Ed Sullivan show when they were in a movie together, the court martial Billy Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that Cooper was just sweating bullets. He was very nervous. This was late in his life and career. But he said um, while he got through gamely doing that bit, he said he had no problem um, in the dressing room with Elizabeth Montgomery during the filming of that movie. Yeah, they had to yeah. crowbar yeah, yeah. So Gary the, Cooper uh, was yeah. still working. Oh, still, oh, maybe man. that's why he had the heart attack. Toward the end. Uh, yeah. wow. I found it interesting that he told you guys if I weren't an actor, I'd be some mean drunk that got stabbed yeah, in a bar. Yeah, absolutely. He said, yeah, and that was all uh, you know, a testament to his mother who he'd, he'd be called out of high school up to the you know the front of the class and they'd say rod you got to pick your mother up she's dead drunk at a bar in downtown newark oh. and he felt so embarrassed so shattered and that was the whole respect thing that's how it started and he said i i will never you know countenance the disrespect of the steiger name my whole life good for him has been and i think credit I, to him he got an, yeah, he got an oscar and he's yeah, one of the, a, i think he deserves to be mentioned i'm glad we're talking about him because here's a guy very few American actors could do dialects better than him. Yes, yes. And he won an Oscar for In the Heat of the Night. Sure did. And the indignity came when he was trying to resurrect his career to pay the bills because he had young kids. And he made a movie with Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone called The Specialist. And he said, before I could get that job, I had to sit in the opulent office of a young 34-year-old studio executive who had the nerve to ask me, can you do a Southern accent? Oh, and he said, it, "You putz!" I was like, yeah, you know, I, I won an Oscar for yeah. the heat of the night. You know, you idiot. It's like you that know? story I told you on the phone about Shelley Winters, and I hope it's not apocryphal. No, that's that a young executive <laughs> asked her what she's done, and she reached into a shopping bag and took out an, her Oscar. Yeah, right. And put it right. on the desk. Yeah. He also said that his favorite movie of all time was The Pawnbroker. Gilbert, yes, Gilbert yes. Lowe's. Yes. a great yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. He, and he said he's he was mistaken for years for being Jewish, but he said he was the only Lutheran in a Jewish neighborhood in Newark. So he like learned from all his Jewish friends sort of, you know, what the milieu was and, you know, that held yeah, him in good ev- stead. Everybody assumed he was Jewish yeah, after right. that movie. Right. And and he also, I heard, had a, like a crippling depression. depression. He yeah. totally yeah. did. Yeah. When we interviewed him, 
you know, and this was like maybe a couple of years after we interviewed him. I'm looking closely at the photos that we took, and he has a little, uh, little uh, is it a sort silver of a, it was a ornament. silver ornament on a, on his, uh, not a cross or anything like that, but like a little ornament, and it was of the little prince. And when we asked, we had asked him during the interview, whatever got you through your depression, and he said it was the 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 uh, the story of the little prince by Saint Exupery. He said anyone who's suffering crippling depression should read that book and it'll get them through. And it was years and years later that we saw, oh my God, he has a little prince thing, you know, around his uh, neck. It was amazing. And I just, I just met him once. I spoke briefly with, and he told me that story. That's a famous story when he was doing the cab scene in on the waterfront. Yeah. Yeah. And usually the actor, if they care, if they're professional, they stand behind the camera while the other one's doing their close-up. And Brando just went home. Yeah. Yeah, right. And and he said, I didn't speak to him for 20 years. (laughs) I love that impression. Well, and Eva Marie Saint, who won her Oscar for that film, her film debut, sort of was caught in the middle. She's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And she loved Brando. She certainly liked Rod, but Rod would not let that go. And that sort of bothered yeah. Eva Marie that he would never let go of this dislike or this problem he had with terrific Brando. actor. Yeah, yeah. And I love him in No Way to Treat a Lady. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, it's a great one. Broker, and the he's, loved one. He's yeah. one of loved those actors. Rothstein is one of those actors, much like Al Pacino, who whether it's a great performance or a bad performance, it's so enjoyable. Yeah, it's he's interesting. Yeah. And it's a weird thing. He's one of the few uh, actors that really would come clean about. St- uh, roles that they lost or that they turned oh, down. He said like he was Patton. like Patton. he was the first yeah. Uh, yeah. choice for Patton, and he said he says sometimes I regret that I turned that down, but other times I'm in an anti-war mood, and I'm glad that I didn't take that role. So and he, I think he always felt that had he done Patton, they would have given him the Godfather. Yeah. Ah, that yeah, was, yeah, maybe. Makes yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Tell us about a much happier guy. <laughs> yeah. Ernest, Ernest <laughs> Borgnine. Ernie. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. A, a love of life kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And, right. You know, we got to know Ernie because he became a regular every year at the Milwaukee Circus Parade. And that happened because he was on Carson in the early 1970s promoting the Poseidon Adventure. And Carson said, Ernie, you've played damn near every role in your career. Is there anything you haven't played? And he said, you know. I've never been a circus clown. So there was this PR guy in Milwaukee who puts on this annual circus parade. They don't have it anymore. And he got on the phone to Ernie and says, guess what? I can make you a circus clown. So for about 25 years, every year, he and the lovely Tova, his wife. Yes, Tova Morgan. Yeah. Um, But Ernie loved his role as a supporting actor. And, um, you know, we talk about Steiger. There is a good transition because Steiger played Marty. Marty. Oh, very yes, good. Yes. Very good. Great. Good, good transition. But, but, but Steiger was looked at as a, being a bit difficult. And so they gave the role to Ernest Borgnine, who ended up winning the Oscar for it. But one of our favorite films is The Wild Bunch, the Sam Peckinpah oh, yeah. film. And there's yeah, talk sort of, about that. Yeah, there's that famous scene where William Holden and what's his, Ryan? Um, yeah, yeah Robert, Robert Ryan. Robert Ryan. Right. They all go into the brothel in Mexico. Yeah. And then there's the scene of Ernie outside of the brothel whittling a piece of wood. So, of course, film historians are making up that he was gay and that it's a phallic symbol and what have you. And I asked, um, we asked Ernie about it, and he does that big hearty laugh. And he says, 
No, I was just finished first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then the story, I don't know if the the people know the story of how he got McHale's. You know that story? Yes, yes, I know this one. Okay, so the interesting thing was, of course, back in those days, if you were a film star, it was considered a step down to go into television. Not so much now. So some kid went to his door selling candy for a local Little League or what have you, and he looks at him, and he goes, aren't you James Arness? And he goes, no, (laughs) Arness was the big star of Gunsmoke. And then he said, um, he looked at him again, he says, aren't you Richard Boone? You know, who was then in Pav Gun Will Travel. That's right, Paladin. Yeah. Yeah. So Ernie was dejected. His ego was bruised. The kid, he buys the food or whatever the kid was selling. He gets back to the agent and he says, is that Mikhail's Navy role still available? And the agent says, yes. He says, I'll take it. Wow. And from that moment on, after Mikhail, he said it didn't matter whatever, whatever he did in film, everywhere in the world he went, the greeting was, how you doing, Mikhail? Good for him. Everyone greeted him Well, he him was one of Mikhail. those actors that still was able to make features, too. Yeah, he went yeah. back and forth. And, right. and we had on John Amos. Mm-hmm. And John Amos worked with uh, Future him Cop? Some, what? I think it was Future Cop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They worked together, and John Amos said, like, at times during the filming, it would hit him. He's working with Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> look over at him and, and suddenly he'd be on. Stare at him in the middle of <laughs> yeah. a scene. Yeah. yeah. No, he was just a, again a and great guy. I I heard that they once had a reunion of the Poseidon Adventure, and Ernest Borgnine walked in and he was all hunched over. His hands were shaking. He was like wheezing for breath and holding on to a chair. And then everyone was looking at him going, oh, my God, he's going to die soon. And then Ernest Borgnine stopped, stood up straight and yelled, you thought I got old, huh? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was Shelley Winters. I mean, I, I you know, <laughs> could have been. Wow. Well, and then he made that, one of his last films was that uh, David Zucker film um, called Basketball. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. We had David here. Yeah, and then great. he even was in, like, cartoons toward the end. Yeah. 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 He had a nice long career. He did. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people loved him. Yeah. yeah. Nice, yeah. likable guy. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Okay, in the time that we have left, and of course, we're never going to get to everybody here. And I want to m- talk about it. <laughs> oh. Man, she was so hot. Yeah, maybe we can get her on the line here, yeah. you know. Till Gilbert, yes. uh, let's ask about two TV stars that we've talked about on the show. Uh, Ted Knight, because it's a really sweet story. Uh, yeah. And Peter yeah. Falk. Two yeah. guys that you, got, you two yeah. wonderful guys that you got to sit down yeah, with. Yeah, Ted and, Knight was great. We interviewed him on the uh, set of Too Close for Comfort. You know the the show we did yeah, after yeah, the Mary the Tyler Moore one. show, yes. exactly. Yeah, and uh, he was just a wonderful guy. And Dave and I were had been out here for like maybe two two and a half weeks, and we were running low on our. Uh, on our kick, which we We're needed students, to, like, yes. yeah, we didn't know if we'd be able to pay the hotel bill. So we kind of, in a weak moment, said, Ted, uh, you know, yeah, we're kind of destitute. Uh, you know, we weren't angling for anything. And he said, well, you guys, 
if I can help you out, I will. And he ripped out a check, a blank check, and gave it to us and said, write in any amount you want to, and it's no problem. And being the Midwestern Minnesota rubes that we were, (laughs) we didn't do it. We gave them back the check. (laughs) Idiots. Ted Baxter gave you a blank check. Check, Exactly. And we didn't take it. So you could have retired. We could have retired. Oh, my God. Another well-loved guy who had success late in his career. Because yeah. he was a bit player forever. Yeah, yeah. he played yeah. like a. He always played the Nazis yeah. in the or like yes. a cop or yes. a courtroom yeah. guard. Yeah. Or, exactly and, in and combat. Both, both John Amos and uh, Ed Asner. Yeah, were we on had the them podcast. both on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And both raved about watching him do a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that doesn't yeah. surprise me. Ed Asner told us that he that Ted Knight in between takes of Mary Tyler Moore was the funniest guy you'd ever sure. want in a room. He absolutely cracked everyone up. Mary, everybody. He, he said just they was used so to funny. sit and the, they used to sit in uh, on on the sidelines just to watch him. Yeah, him and yeah. Gavin McLeod. Yeah, just yeah. sit there and, and envy what he could do. Yeah, Asner's exactly. a great guy, isn't and he? Though, they, yeah, they, fantastic. We love. Him. I think in the book, uh, Ted Knight tells us story that to audition for parts he learned one piece of dialogue you know one whole page of dialogue in german yeah yeah played so many nazis yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and then it wound up like what he was saying is you know gee i think i'll get a haircut (laughs) something benign right exactly and he'd get the roles you know i mean he was a showbiz survivor he was a puppeteer he was was a ventriloquist he did everything in show business before he made it you know like leslie nielsen same who toiled for decades before um the naked gun and an airplane Falk was a great, you know, another one. I mean, you know, at the time we saw him, he was really into his painting. Yeah. His, he did a lot of charcoal paintings, and I don't know whatever happened to him. Um, but he certainly was w- well aware that his legacy was always going to be Columbo. He showed you his Emmys on the shelf. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but again, you know, here's a guy who was a terrific character actor. Absolutely. Yes. W- well beyond what he did in Columbo. Um, but uh, he also was chain smoking. Yeah. He was a human smudge pot when Ooh. we met him. I mean, it was just, you know, ashes everywhere. I mean, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah, he couldn't kick those cigarettes. No, no. no and he, he used the excuse that, hey, my mom's 90 and still alive. Well, yeah. you know, that oh. was his excuse. Did but... people yell serpentine to him in the yeah. street? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where they would see him? Yeah, we weren't in the streets, but that would have been a good question to ask him. Him and Arkin, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. He, I and, love that he referred to Columbo as an ass-backward Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And what's so horrible... Is him toward the end because you know, I mean, when when uh, Rita Hayworth got Alzheimer's, there was no internet. Yeah, right. With Peter Falk, there was an internet, and it was all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Him, yeah. him wandering in the street yelling at people. Yeah, I yeah. think they figured it was just forgetfulness from Columbo or something. Yeah. I don't know, part of his character. But yeah, it was. It was sad. sad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you guys want to tell us about Capra, which I found fascinating? <laughs> oh my god. Do you want to tell Frank. us about Cagney? Cagney, oh, which, Cagney, which one you want? Take I'll, one. I'll take Capra. What do we flip a coin? Okay, yeah, okay. okay. yeah. Can you see Cagney yeah. naked? <laughs> no, Capra. 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 We saw him naked. Yes. How did you know, Gilbert? Capra. We. Uh, you're prescient. It's with amazing. A no. Oh my God. It was. Frank. Capra did not do anything to us naked like a vet did. No. Yeah, in fact, he us. almost towel whipped us because he had yeah, like a yeah. weird towel around yeah. himself. Cagney uh, didn't run into the room and go. Stop looking at my dick. <laughs> no, which, uh, you know, he had a pair at that point. But no, 
No, it, it was incredible. Capra, we interviewed <laughs> in uh, Minneapolis. Came to Minnesota. Yes. Came to Minnesota yeah. for a film festival. It was the dead of winter. It was about 10 degrees below zero. And he came like he was teeing off at Palm Springs at the 18th oh, fairway geez. at La Quinta. <laughs> he had no coat. Linen. I mean, it was Dressed like. for it Palm was, Springs. Yeah, he had it that was linen incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, like engine block for falling out of cars. And he's, he's like, you know, practically in a bathing suit. And what we did was we kidnapped him from this film festival because we were never going to be able to interview him going through stages with the film people. So we just went up to his room. Back then, we went to the the um, the, uh, the uh, desk, desk yeah. and, you know, we asked, well, what room is Mr. Capra in? And they gave it to us. It was like a kinder, gentler America. They didn't care. So we, we knocked on his door, got no answer. We went back down and got like a hotel dick with a master <laughs> key because we were worried. We go back up. He opens up the door and Camper's in the shower screaming at us. He's screaming. Yeah. He's like swearing in he Italian. The little Sicilian. Yeah. Oh, he is nude. No, it's a great. He was like, you know, God damn. You he had to be 83 years old. He was 83. Yeah, he's 83. He's going insane. So we beat a hasty retreat. And then we have the gall to wait for him in the lobby thinking we can still get an interview. He comes down just sputtering. He's pissed. <laughs> And then he's, and then we say, Mr. Capra, uh, uh, do we, can you do an interview with us? And he's like, all right, like, let's go eat, you know? And so we take him all over Minnesota. We take him all over. He, he, we took him five times across the, the Mississippi River. a great River. story. Yeah. One of the best things in the book. Yeah, because he wanted to see the Mark Twain's River. He It was the crux yeah. of Twain, he said. We had to put a little boat cushion under his butt because he was so little, and so he could see out the window. He opens the window. It remember it's like 10 below zero and he's like we, five times we go over the river and he's like waxing rhapsodic about the mississippi trying to river wrap my mind around you guys driving no, around in sub-zero temperatures yeah. no, it's with frank capper in the back it's insane and then and then he wanted to go to church so we take him to the you know the minnesota the cathedral st paul cathedral it was right after the hostages from iran had been let out so and they had the <laughs> mic my country tis of thee as yeah, the recessional great. hymn. And they had all these lyric sheets, like eight verses. Capper knew every verse without looking at the lyric sheets. He knew them by heart. Yeah. Like the ultimate American. He was a patriot. It was yeah. he and loved his country. Exactly. About eight hours later, we get him back to like the uh, coordinator of the Minnesota Film Festival. And she's pissed at us. She's looking at us like she's going to kill us. And Capra, you know, an old silent film writer, gag guy, yeah. kind of looks at us, let, lets us twist in the wind for about three seconds and then says, well, I had the greatest tour from two of the top flight tour guides in the state and so we were off the hook it was nice, great nice she ending exactly oh. we couldn't hope for anything better by the way you'll have to read i'll say to our listeners you'll have to get the book for this but he tells you a fantastic ernest hemingway oh, story yeah. from the back seat of the car so yeah. if there are ernest hemingway fans when you read <laughs> yeah, it you may not be yeah, you might not be a fan after of, of hemingway after so, I, there's a million names that we could pick off these cards here but tell us Cagney. about you, uh, you tell us you want to hear about cagney or mickey rooney gilbert oh oh well mickey rooney i heard it's a major league prick yeah yeah <laughs> No, not anymore. Well, no, no, he was. I heard he was He's a crazy. major leaguer. Certifiably yeah. crazy. Yeah. You didn't know if any anecdote or story he was telling you was true. 
You never knew. But uh, Tom, tell the story about the uh, woman came up to us at the hotel when he we yeah, were Yeah, we were at the Westlake, like, you know, Westlake Marriott out in the middle of nowhere, the western end of the valley. And, you know, I'm sitting, we're both sitting there in the lobby and waiting for him. And it's like 20 minutes. And then he comes huffing and puffing in this, like, Yale cap. Like, he oh. never went to Yale. And he's running <laughs> in and he's, he's totally sweating. He's like a red mess. And he's like, my car ran out of gas on the freeway. I had to run here. We're like, uh, okay, well, whatever. We sit down in the lobby where people are checking in on these, like, you know, in these couches waiting. And then this woman, like a raptor, starts to circle us like a oh. vulture. Like she kind of recognizes him, but doesn't really quite recognize him. She comes up to us and and, and then he, she goes to Mickey. Uh, aren't you? Oh, I love your films, aren't you? Dear, dear, get away from me. I'm doing an interview. Can't you see this? Get the hell out of here. She was like, an autograph oh seeker. God. Away. I mean, like his only fan. He told her to go to hell. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't I, believe it. I heard a story uh, about Mickey Rooney that he was in some public place and, you know, a crowd was gathering, lining up to get his autograph. And among them in the crowd was a guy really handicapped in a like an electric wheelchair strapped in and and looking very like shaking and everything and uh Mickey Rooney yells out hey get him up ahead of the line i want to shake your hand and give you an autograph and they moved him up and he signed the autograph and then Mickey Rooney leans over to one of his, the guys working for him he goes now get him the fuck out of here. Oh, oh <laughs> man. That sounds like he might have said that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Gilbert, you need to do your own Hollywood legends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it won't be as heartwarming. Will you do the as Dave and Tom. Will you do the forward to our second print? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, oh. There's a perfect segue. Yeah. Let's oh. end on the bitterness of Jack Carter. No, okay. Oh. oh. <laughs> We'll have to come back and talk about Cagney and others. We'll, but we'll make him read the book. Yeah, make him read the, the book. The Cagney yeah, stuff yeah, and the Gregory great. Peck stuff in the book and Robert Stacks and yeah. his car for you guys. Really <laughs> right. nice. Or, wonderful... or a DeForest Kelly wanting to meet oh, at a the, Scandi the, the Navy restaurant. DeForest Kelly yeah. story is funny. But let's, <laughs> let's say, and Tony Curtis too. Yeah. yeah. So Jack Carter, we saw him when he was already 90, 91 <laughs> years old. Toward the end. He still lived in the same home on Chevy Chase Drive in Beverly Hills. Nice real estate. Although we characterized it as a teardown because he had never touched the home in about 40 years. But he was so embittered. He said to us... He, he said to so us... Sorry we the, didn't get him. The, 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 yeah. the tour buses, he said, come by the house and point to next door where Joey Bishop lived. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. And they ignore me. He goes... When these comedians die, the news media calls everyone but me to get a quote. <laughs> and the, the sick thing, the nail in the coffin was a week later, he phoned me. I live out in L.A. and he said, Tom, I want you to do my autobiography. I have scores to settle. And I, <laughs> You'll never work again. No, and yeah. I said, I said, sorry, Jack, I don't have time. So it was like I, I refused to do an you know, we refused to do an autobiography. It was like the final nail. Would have been the, the most bitter book in the oh, history. Of history of the title, the bitter book the bitter by book. Jack Carter. What totally. is this about Durante and Groucho that he claimed? 
That's in the book. Uh, oh, that he it said sure something be good. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, he said something about um, Durante about so don't wear. Yeah, about Groucho, Groucho said would come to, to the house when he was yeah. really old yeah. and losing, and yeah. he said something about why do you wear that stupid hat or something. Well, he said, according yeah. to the book, Groucho yeah. would say to him, "Why don't you die already?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Quite I know Groucho had a dark side, and then so yeah. I can't yeah. quite imagine. I'm glad. I'm glad Frank knows the book better than we yeah. do. Yeah, right? exactly. cover to cover oh, twice. Yeah, that's it. Wonderful. Thank Crazy. <laughs> and he thought Johnny Carson was, was an anti-Semite. Yeah, yeah based on what? But well, the fact you know, Johnny was you know in what his New York fuck? days. Yeah. New York days, Johnny drank a lot. Yeah, and he was, and it's a bad drunk. Yeah, it was an angry drunk. Yeah. So apparently, according to Carter, he was with another Jewish comedian, Jan Murray. And Delbert's uh, loving this. And um, Johnny was spewing anti-Semitic stuff to Jan Murray and Carter after he came out of a yeah after he came out of a restaurant. He said, "Are you Jews going into that restaurant? Oh my god!" And then like Jan Murray beat the shit out of Carter. Well, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, yeah, allegedly. allegedly. I mean, you've seen Jan Murray. I mean, could he beat a fly? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was but amazing. Not something. anymore. I'd love to watch Jan Murray beat up Johnny yeah, yeah. Classic. Be There's classic. a lot of sweetness in the book oh, as yes. we talked about. Yeah. And the Robert Stack one, and I'll let people I'll let people buy the book, and it's great. But there's also a wonderful <laughs> helping of bitterness, <laughs> which, we're, which we're talking about. Also, Jackie Coogan, oh, who yeah. sat down with Uncle Fester, yeah. <laughs> he's like ripping into Chevy Chase for no reason well, yes. whatsoever. And he sticks us with the bill, of course. He stuck you with the check. He drank eight iced teas. I've never, I, and he didn't go to the bathroom. I mean, yeah. it was like amazing. I couldn't believe well, the bladder he had a control. Cheese mushroom omelet, and he. Had no bottom teeth. So as he was talking, it was spewing oh out between God. the teeth. Oh. It was on our glasses. No, it was like, oh. oh my God. Let me tell them some of the other okay. people in the book, too. And there's some some more uh, offbeat interviews. Uh, Al Hirschfeld, Julius Epstein, the writer of Casablanca, uh, the Nicholas Brothers, for Christ's yeah. sakes, you found. Wow. Mel Blanc, and we talked on the phone, uh, Louis Marx, yeah. the, the, yeah, toy, the toy Marks. king. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Marks. but Mel Blanc, oh, yeah. that's yeah. someone I would have loved to Yeah, what a great. talent. Do you know, and his it, voice was like Barney Rubble's. His that was his voice. speaking yeah. voice. Yeah. He talked just like Barney Rubble. Oh, and the yeah. people you didn't get, yes. or the people you didn't put in the book, I should say, yeah. the Nanette Fabre, Sheldon <laughs> Leonard you met with, he's yeah. not in the book. Uh, Alan Hale, yeah. <laughs> Ray Walston hated my favorite Martian. Yeah. yeah, but you notice he had no problem doing the sequel that was made years later when they wrote him a nice check. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. right. <laughs> There's so much good stuff in there. There's so many people we didn't get to, and it's is it two fifty? What do you put the number at? Roughly about two fifty. You know, we've we, your your listeners will be happy to know we don't pursue contemporary actors or actresses. And the reason we don't... It's like our show in book form. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We, because we live in the past, like you guys. Yeah. And um, we we just... Uh, this is sort of the bow. This book is the, the package and the bow. Because working with publicists and contemporary stars and the gauntlet that you have to go to to get access, just it's not fun anymore. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. had a great time doing this. Yeah. I tell yeah. you, we've almost had about 250 guests on this show. Oh. And in reading the book and doing this show, I've come to a conclusion. People are fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. yes. yes. That's a true statement. <laughs> yes. and no yeah. dispute. Jack, Jack Carter, we missed by like a day. Just missed oh, him. He man. agreed to do this show. I think show. he died oh, just to get no. out of doing the show. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. like the next day. 
You would have had oh. fun. You also have songwriters in here. Sammy Kahn, uh, Gilbert and I talk about Billy May, yeah. one, of, yeah. one of Rayburn's favorites. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hoagie oh. Carmichael, for yeah. Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah. There's so many people in this book. There's so many wonderful interviews. I don't know how you got Robert Wagner to do a forward with for you, but that's also a coup. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, very, and so you want to plug it one more time? Okay. The book is Hollywood Heyday, 75 Candid Interviews with Golden Age Legends. And the authors are David Fantle and Tom Johnson, who saw Yvette Menu's <laughs> pussy. Uh, yeah. Don't you they, realize we're in the Me Too era? Yeah. Oh, no. They, oh, oh, they spoke to Gregory Peck, too. Who cares? <laughs> Gregory Peck. Who cares? They did see Yvette <laughs> Menu's yeah. pussy. Oh, and uh, I don't know. They may have met Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck cares? <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on that note. <laughs> yeah, it'll end us. Oh, yeah, guys, sure. listen, the show, the show we do is a labor of love. Yeah. Obviously, this book is. Definitely. Uh, we can't believe what you guys pulled off. Well, thank it, you. Well, I'm going to yeah. be pulling it off thinking about <laughs> it. TMI, oh. So get the book, everybody. Uh, the Lucille Ball story we teased. We didn't give you that one either. You got you to gotta, yeah, you know, you, you gotta get out, the yeah. book. And we want to thank uh, the person who Gilbert refuses to name on this show. And <laughs> the great Gino Salamon. Yes, Gino. For, for bringing, yes. uh, for we bringing you guys. Yeah. We love you, Gino. And this was a real hoot. So thank well, you. Thank you, you very it's been much. Been fun. Yeah, thank it's you. been great. There's no people like show people. They don't run out of dough. Angels come from everywhere with lots of jack. And when you lose it, there's no attack. Where could you get money that you don't get back? Let's go on with the show. There's no business like show business if you tell me it's so. Traveling through the country is so thrilling. Standing out in front on opening nights. Smiling as you watch the benches filling and see your billing out there in lights. People like show people, they smile when they are low. Even with a turkey that you know will fold, you may be stranded out in the cold. Still, you wouldn't change it for a sack of gold. Let's go on with the Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. 